0: Thank you, Lord. Yes. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Our scripture reading this morning comes from various Proverbs that will be displayed up on the screen as we go. I'm going to start in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 which if you don't like reading on screens is on page 542 in the red bible here. So it's Proverbs 19:20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Next we'll look at Proverbs 13:10. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. And finally, Proverbs fifteen twenty two: Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here this morning. Uh, For those of you who may be new or visiting with us, my name is Josh. I'm the assistant pastor here. It's good to have you. Um, If you were open to sticking around a little bit after the service, I'd love to meet you. I'll try and be back at the Connect desk. Hopefully we can meet there. Well, this morning, we're continuing a series that we began last week, uh, going through the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Uh, Everett preached to us from Proverbs 1 through 9, speaking on the importance of wisdom for us as Christians, growing in wisdom. And he encouraged us to read Proverbs 1 through 9 throughout this past week. And as I did that, there was one verse that I came across that really stood out to me. Um, It was Proverbs chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. I just want to read that real quick. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. This verse really hammers home the importance of wisdom, and I think it's especially important for us living in a culture that seems to be completely obsessed with gaining wealth and money. Here, God is saying that the wisdom that you can take from me, the wisdom you can take from my word, is more valuable than all the riches that you could ever pursue in life. In 1995, a 29-year-old Swedish mountain climber by the name of Guron Krop set out from his home in Stockholm, Sweden, and headed for Mount Everest in Nepal. Now, his chosen method of transportation was, of all things, his bike. And pulling 240 pounds of mountain gear, he rode 8,000 miles from Stockholm to the base of Mount Everest. And when he arrived there, he immediately began acclimatizing himself to get ready to climb the mountain, and he was going to climb Mount Everest alone. Most people climb in a group— And he was going to climb alone. Also, he decided that he was not going to use supplemental oxygen. Um, On Mount Everest, the air is so thin, especially above 8,000 meters, it's called the death zone. The air is so thin, your body can no longer acclimatize to the air. And you need supplemental oxygen. Actually, your body will start dying above 8,000 meters. But he was going to do this alone without oxygen. So in May of 1996... That's five months it took him to ride that 8,000 miles. He got to the base camp and began climbing to the summit. And he climbed for 14 hours. And he got within 300 feet of standing on top of the world. It's an enormous accomplishment for anyone. But he turned back. He was so tired by the time that he got within 300 feet. We're talking less than an hour of climbing. He turned back. He decided that he was too tired to make it that re- the rest of the way up and then come back down without killing himself. So using the wisdom that he had, he turned back. Now, you may think, okay, well, that's a completely rational decision, right? But most mountain climbers are so overcome by the idea of reaching the summit that every year hundreds of mountain climbers will die because they make completely irrational decisions when trying to make it to the top. But he turned back. And there's an experienced guide on the mountain who witnessed Crop turn back that day And he said that the decision, the judgment, and the wisdom that he showed to turn back at that moment was a much greater accomplishment than if he had actually reached the top. And I know it's highly unlikely that any of us are going to be climbing Mount Everest anytime soon, but we can see in just this little picture here of the fact that wisdom is incredibly important to our lives. In fact, it could even save our life one day. If I had had more wisdom when I was younger, I wouldn't have made some of the idiotic decisions that I made. I would have sought advice from other people and maybe saved myself from a lot of harm. And that's where we're going this morning. This is what we're going to look at in the book of Proverbs. Um, Specifically, the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at what it has to say regarding advice, seeking advice and seeking the counsel of other people. So I'm going to keep the big idea very simple this morning. This is a very simple, practical, on-the-ground sermon. Get all the advice you can That's a big idea this morning. Get all the advice you can. And I've broken the sermon down into five sections if you're taking notes, and they'll also be up on the PowerPoint uh, with the accompanying verses. So first we're going to see the wisdom, then the decisions, the counselors, the sin, and the Savior. The wisdom, the decisions, the counselors, the sin, and the Savior. So let's jump in. First is the wisdom Christians should be people who are open to taking advice and instruction from others. As Christians, we should be open to that. Proverbs 19:20. It says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. So this verse is going to be the foundation for everything else that we're going to see this morning. Listen to advice so that you can gain wisdom for the future. Or, Another way of saying that would be that you may gain wisdom for the rest of your life, that you would be someone who's continually gaining wisdom. But this verse assumes that the people you're listening to are wise, right? So you're not going to gain wisdom by listening to the speech of a fool. You may learn what not to do, right? But you're not going to learn what to do. In the book of Proverbs, it's continually contrasting the the way, the actions, and the speech of a fool with the way and the actions and the speech of a wise person. So the underlying point here is that we would be listening to wise people so that we could gain advice. So that we would gain advice for the future. And I think this is specifically important for our young people who are here this morning. And I'm just going to come right out and say it. Your parents are wiser than you are. Your parents are wiser than you are. They will always be wiser than you are. That's just a fact, full stop. They've been on this planet longer than you have. They've walked with the Lord longer than you have. They've seen more than you have. They've experienced more life than you have. And as a young person, it would be foolish of you to reject the wisdom that your parents are giving you. I know you think you know everything right now, but you don't. You will gain wisdom by listening to the things that they have to share with you. And this, I think this, this also extends broadly to all of us who, every Sunday, we sit under the preaching of the word. It would be wise for us to sit under the preaching of the word and take that advice in. To listen to the advice of those who are preaching and sharing with us God's word on Sunday morning. If you're starting a new job, it's wise to listen to the advice and the instruction of people who've been there for a long time. If you're in junior high, high school, college, it would be wise of you to listen to the people who've walked that path before you. Maybe you're in the midst of a conflict with another person. Conflict is always hard. Conflict is terrible. But it would be wise to listen to the advice of others on how to deal with that conflict. So in general, be open to the advice and the instruction that others have to give you, especially the people in your life who you have established and said, this is a wise person. This person is seasoned. They they understand life well. I'm going to listen to their advice. We can turn to Proverbs 13.10. It has the same idea it's communicating. Proverbs 13.10 says, By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. This word insolence, it means uh, someone who has rude or disrespectful behavior. Uh, Other translations will translate that word as pride. So with pride comes nothing but strife. I think it's easy for us to then think and picture in our minds someone who is rude, someone who is very disrespectful in their behavior or attitude towards others, someone who's prideful, they're going to continually be engaged in conflict with other people. You're not going to be willing to take advice from others if you're rude or disrespectful or prideful we're going to return to that idea of how pride keeps us from accepting the advice of others. We're going to return to that in a little bit, but I just want to just let that sit for a second. Our pride will often keep us from listening to the instructions of others. But you can see how this type of behavior, this rude, disrespectful, prideful behavior, is in contrast with a, a wise person. So if we're, if we're reading between the lines here, a foolish person would be full of pride. A foolish person would be rude and disrespectful, And they would reject the advice of others. But again, a wise person is someone who's willing and open to take the advice and the instruction of the people around them. And this is what we should esteem to. The book of Proverbs wants us to open ourselves up to be willing to accept the advice and instructions of others. So that's number one, the wisdom. Number two, the decisions. So when should we seek advice? In what types of situations should you and I seek the advice of other people? Are we talking about just seeking the advice for dinner tonight? What should we eat? You know, that's not bad. We're talking about bigger decisions here. Proverbs 20, verses 18 through 19. When should we seek counsel? It says this, Plans are established by counsel, and by wise guidance wage war. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. So, verse eighteen—it's giving us this picture of a nation's leader or leaders gathered together, working to establish plans for that country. If a country is going to go to war, that's an enormous decision, right? It's going to affect a lot of people. It's going to cost money. People will die. But it's not just one person making that decision. There's many people gathered together to set those plans in motion. You might be thinking, I'm not about to make a decision to send people to war. What in the world does this have to do with me? So the the book of Proverbs is using this broad statement to bring it it, this broad statement, we need to bring it down to the decisions that we're making every day. So the reason why war is mentioned, there's a specific, there's two specific reasons. One, that's an incredibly difficult decision to make. To send a group of people into war, to send your country into war—that's a challenging decision. So that's number one. But also, war is a decision that you make that you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You may have a general idea: hey, we're going to win because maybe we have some more people. But you never know. It's—it's it's a risk sending uh, an army or a nation into war. So what are the decisions that you're faced with right now that you don't know what the outcome is going to be? What are the decisions that you're faced with in life right now? Um, that are challenging you. Okay, maybe you're thinking about moving. Maybe you're considering taking a different job. Maybe you're having conflict with someone. It's a difficult decision to know what to do and how to handle that. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. Maybe you're thinking about investing your money, planning to go to college, thinking about having kids, getting married, purchasing a car, retiring. These are all big decisions that many of us are going to have to make, but we don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't exactly know... The way it's going to turn out. But in all of these decisions, just like war, we can't guarantee what's going to happen. You don't know. You might take a new job and things might go very poorly. You might buy a new car and it's a lemon, right? But because we can't guarantee these outcomes, it's wise for us to seek the advice and the counsel of other people. But verse 19, it warns us. It says, Look at this warning. It says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. So in other words, don't bring somebody into your decision-making process who's going to gossip about the things you're talking to them about. Don't bring people into your decision-making who aren't trustworthy. Don't bring people into your decision-making who don't have your best interest in mind. Someone who doesn't really care about you. These aren't the types of people that you should be bringing into the conversation. You need to find someone who's trustworthy. And on the flip side, don't be someone who's not trustworthy. The Bible has strong warnings against gossip, against slander. And if someone invites you into the decision-making process with them, be a trustworthy person. Be a person who can keep a secret. Don't go gossiping and sharing, oh, can you believe what they're just struggling with right now, the decision that they can't make? No, we need, to, we need to keep that in confidence. So if you're seeking advice from others, make sure the person that you're seeking advice from is a wise person who can keep that secret. So that's section number two. So we have the wisdom, we have the decisions. But now, I think a logical question comes up. Well, how many people should I ask? How many people should I bring into this decision-making process with me? In the book of Proverbs, it uses two words. To answer that question, it's going to use the word abundance and the word many. Abundance and many. So this is section three, the counselors, plural, that we should bring many people into our decision making process. So let's read these verses. Proverbs eleven fourteen. It says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. 24, 5 through 6. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage war, and in abundance of counselors, there's victory. So, if you have your own Bible out, I would just encourage you, underline, circle those words, abundance, many, not the pew Bibles, all right? Just if you have your own Bible abundance and many this just to remember that the the big idea here to get all the advice you can to bring multiple people into your decision-making process now as we're looking at these verses it becomes clear that the more people that are helping us make a decision the greater the likelihood of the plans we're making the decision that we're making is going to succeed not in every case remember last week Everett reminded us that these proverbs are general principles in general, these things will work out, but not always. So there's no guarantee. You could ask 100 people to help you make a decision about your new job, and it might not work out. But in general, the more people we bring into the decision making process, the greater our plans have of succeeding. So the imagery that we're seeing here in these verses, particularly um, 24 and 11, actually 15, all of them, the imagery here is of leaders gathering together to make decisions that are going to affect an entire nation. So if you think about our own government, it's not a government that's controlled by one person, right? Ideally, it's not a government controlled by one person. The president has his advisors, and those advisors have advisors, and those advisors have advisors. So you have a ton of people working together with accountability, their structure built into our government to allow the president to make the best decision possible. There's there's a lot of wisdom in that. So if we, if we take this broad principle and put it on the ground, for those of us who aren't leading governments, um, put simply, bring people into your decision-making process. It's wise for you to consult many people before making these big decisions and, and really listen to their advice. And I think we can often hear people. We can hear people give advice, but are we listening to the advice they're given? You know, Sherlock Holmes, he always said to Watson, right, he said, you see but you do not observe. There's a difference there. We may hear the advice that people are giving us. Audibly, we hear it, but are we listening? Are we really taking into account what they're saying? So let's say somebody sends you a very critical email or a text or there's conflict. In that moment, you're obviously going to be very angry. You're going to want to respond generally in an ungodly way. But if you take a moment, pause, patient. Bring somebody into that situation without gossiping, without slandering the person who's been critical of you, bringing somebody into that situation to help you think through, how should I handle this? If you're planning to take a new job, talk to to two, three, four, five people about this opportunity, people who know you well. It's easy for us to be deceived, right, into thinking, oh, this is probably the perfect opportunity for me, but then we bring other people in our lives who know us well, we bring them into the decision-making process, and they can help guide us. Maybe you're considering moving or going to college. Again, bringing several people into that discussion process with you. Seek their advice. Let them pray with you, pray for you. And we see this wisdom lived out in many different areas of life. Think of a sports team, multiple coaches helping the head coach make decisions. Churches, a plurality of elders working with the lead pastor to make decisions for the church. Businesses, they have executive boards helping the CEO, the president make decisions If you have to take a ring of power to Mordor, right, it would be good to consult the Council of Elrond before you go and do that. There's wisdom in having many advisors working with you in the decision-making process. I think there's a really helpful illustration from the sport of baseball. Um, I can't take credit for thinking of this illustration, so I just want to pass some wisdom on to you. Um, In baseball, the manager, he's the head coach, right? He's the lead guy. He's the one making the final decisions for the team. He's got other coaches who are advising him, maybe he'll take some advice from the players, but at the end of the day, he's the one who's making the decisions to put the team in a place to succeed. Now, each baseball team has what's called a bullpen. All right, the bullpen is comprised of several pitchers who are they're on the bench, but they're ready to go in the game at any time, maybe 7 to 10 pitchers who are ready to go in the game. So, if the starting pitcher, he's maybe he pitches very poorly, um, they got to throw somebody else in there. Or maybe the starting pitcher gives you eight strong innings and you need someone else to go in at the end. The manager knows in every situation that that game could bring up which pitcher to send into the game. So if he's got a runner on first and third and there's only one out, he knows, he knows his team well and he can send in a specific pitcher to handle that situation. Maybe he needs a pitcher to come in who can come in and throw five innings of relief or something like that. He knows which pitcher available to him, can do that. So let me ask this. How in the world does that connect with what I'm talking about? Who's in your bullpen? Who are the people in your life that can advise you in specific situations? Who are the people in your life that you can go to when a specific situation arises and you may need help? So let's say maybe there's, you're facing some challenges with your kids. Who can you go to in your life that can help you think through Those types of decisions that may need to be made. Give you counsel. Maybe you're struggling with your marriage. There's someone you can go talk to about your marriage. Maybe finances, right? Don't come talk to a millennial about that because we don't have money, all right? (laughs) So you're going to go talk to a boomer. Find someone who's made their money, right, and invested it well. So who are the people in your life that you know that you can go to in specific situations for help? Now, some of these people might overlap, but the, the point is to be thinking about who in your life can advise you when you may need help in specific situations. So it's not only, not only is it helpful to have an abundance of people speaking into your life, but it's important to have people who are wise in certain areas. I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about professionals that you may have to spend money to talk to, just people in our church, in your life, parents, family, whoever it may be, who can you go to? But here's the reality. We, we've seen... We should be people who accept wisdom. We should be people who bring multiple people into the decision-making process. But the reality is we don't often do this. What keeps us from seeking counsel? It's wise to seek counsel because we can so easily be deceived. Right? Our hearts are desperately wicked. We can't understand them. There may be a decision that looks wise to us, but then we bring three or four people into that process and they say, no, this, this is not good for you. We can so easily be deceived, it's wise to bring people into that process, but we, we don't. So what keeps us from seeking counsel? This is section four, uh, the sin. And I want to make the case, and I think the book of Proverbs makes the case, that the reason why we don't seek counsel from others is because of our pride. The sin of pride often prevents us from seeking the advice of others and really listening to them. Not just hearing, but really listening to them. I've realized this past week as I was putting this together, there's so many times in my life where I, he- I hear what I want to hear. I hear the things that people are telling me. I hear the advice that I'm being given, but I'm only hearing it from a certain angle. I'm only hearing them say the things that I want to. My pride so often gets in the way of making a good decision. Proverbs twelve fifteen. it says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. To think that we are right all the time, or perfectly capable of making the right decision all the time, that is pride. To think that I don't need the help of others, that's pride. So pride is thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. It's thinking that we're better than everyone else, more capable, thinking that we constantly know better. It's putting ourselves in front of other people. Pride is an attitude that seeks autonomy, not only from God, but from the people that he's placed in our life. As I was thinking about this, it it just continued to get heavier and heavier for me. Um, But isn't it true that we often don't seek the counsel and advice of others because we don't want other people to think that we're incapable of making a decision, right? I'm acknowledging a weakness. If I have to bring someone else into the process to help, I'm weak, I'm incapable. And I don't want others to think that. But that's pride. Maybe I just don't want others to know that I'm going through a challenging situation. That's prideful. Maybe, and these are all things that... I, I've wrestled with this week, and maybe it's that I don't want to rely on other people. I don't want to inconvenience people, but that's pride as well. I so often want others to think that I have everything together, that, that I know what I should be doing all the time. That's pride. Not only is it pride, but Proverbs says that that attitude is, is foolish. Foolish. It's foolish to not acknowledge that we need the help of others. It's foolish to make big decisions alone. This phrase, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, it leads us to ask a series of really difficult questions. The first one I want to ask is, have you ever been wrong? And I don't mean actually never been wrong, but in your mind, are you just constantly right? You're always right about everything. Nobody's ever been able to prove you wrong. Nobody's ever been able to change your mind about something. It's a tough question to wrestle with. Are we quick to seek and take the advice of others? Or are we constantly questioning everybody's motives? Is nobody good enough to help you? Do you consider yourself the most intelligent person in your life? This is pride. These are hard things to wrestle with. Or do you feel like if you were to bring somebody into the decision-making process with you, they wouldn't understand you? You're too complicated to be figured out. Nobody could understand what you're wrestling with. That's pride as well. Are we too prideful to accept the advice of others? And I know, just sensing the tension right now, I know the answer is yes. For many of us, it's yes. For for us this week, it's probably been yes, that I've been too prideful to accept the advice of others. And I don't want to keep pushing, but I have to. The book of Proverbs has very strong warnings against our pride. Proverbs 26, 12, it says this, Do you see that man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 16, 5, it says, The Lord... Detests the proud. So, where does that leave us? That leaves us desperately needing a Savior, right? Our pride leaves us desperately needing Jesus. So, that's where we're going. This section number five is the Savior. How does Jesus fix our pride? You see, we are broken. Pride was what caused Adam and Eve to rebel against God in the garden. Pride is at the root of almost all of our sin. In our fallen condition, pride is just killing us. But the good news is that God hasn't left us in our pride. God doesn't leave us there. The strongest antidote for our pride is the grace that God has given to us in Jesus. I want to say that again. The strongest antidote for our pride is the grace that God has given to us in Jesus. And I want to show us in the time that we have left, how it is that Jesus in the gospel brings us to a place of humility where we can receive the advice of others, where we can accept instruction from other people. If you have your Bible, First Corinthians chapter 1, you can go there. First Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. I'll give us a moment to flip over there. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's a lot going on in these verses. But here's what I want us to see this morning. Is that everything that you have in your life... Is a result of God's grace towards you. His unearned, unmerited favor. Everything that you have in this this life, especially our salvation, which is a main focus here, has come to you as a gift of the grace of God. Look at verse 26. I'm going to run through this quickly. He says, Consider your calling. God was the one who called you. Verse 27, we see twice God chose, God chose. He's the initiator. He's the one who brings his grace to you. Verse 28, God chose. Verse 29, God did this so that no human being could boast in his presence. Verse 30, because of him, that's because of God, you, brothers and sisters, are now in Christ Jesus. Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that is, the totality of our salvation, from the beginning to e- from the beginning to the very end, Jesus is our salvation, and He comes to us as a gift from the grace of God. All of the progress that you make in the faith—that that, that word there, sanctification—that's what it means. All of the progress that you make in your faith is a result of God's grace working out in your life. All of it, and this leads to verse thirty-one. It brings us all to a place where we can't boast. We can only boast in the Lord, the one who has done and accomplished all of this, the one who has taken this wretched sinner and made him a son of God. You see, brothers and sisters, everything that you possess, from the dollar that's in your pocket to the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ is a gift to you from the grace of God. See, that's what grace is. It's it's a gift. It's God's unearned favor. Despite your rebellion, despite your sin, God has been gracious to grant us a salvation in Jesus Christ that we don't deserve. And he calls us to place our faith and trust in that, to swear allegiance to King Jesus and follow him. This also brings us to a place where we have to confess our sin. We have to confess our pride. We have to repent of that. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful faithful. And he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's something that we have to remind ourselves of every day. Because we so often don't believe that, right? We sin and we ask for forgiveness, but am I really forgiven? Has God actually forgiven me? Do we trust his word? If God is faithful to forgive us of our pride when we confess it. When we turn from our pride, God is faithful to forgive us of our pride to cleanse us of every speck of unrighteousness that we have. We confess, he forgives, and we move forward in his grace. You see, this reality should bring us to a place where we can do nothing but fall on our knees before God, in gratitude, in humility. Because I, I can't boast in myself, that's illogical, because everything I know that I have has come to me as a gift of God's grace. The reason I'm standing here this morning is because, God's, because of God's grace. The reason you are sitting here this morning God has drawn you by his grace to be in this place this morning. That's not something that we can take for granted. My father-in-law is an incredible gift giver. It's almost as if he can anticipate what I want and what I need before he can give it to me. So Christmas is pretty awesome when we go and visit Carly's family. Um, He knows what I want, what I need. I don't even need to ask for gifts. Six months in advance, he's already doing Christmas shopping and getting things ready. It's incredible. So he's an incredible giver of gifts. He gives me things that I didn't even realize that I wanted or even needed. But think about this. If on Christmas morning, I'm sitting there, and my father-in-law hands me a gift, and I look at it, open it up, Carly's family, they're from California, so they don't use wrapping paper. They actually wrap everything in cloth. I'm trying to be environmentally friendly. Sorry, that's completely free. Um, (laughs) I open open up that gift, and I look at it, and my reaction is, Wow, I'm awesome. I'm amazing. Look at this. I'm so great. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Like, we can see the absurdity of that, right? That I'm given a gift— I didn't earn, I didn't do anything for that, it was given to me, and then I turn inward and say, I'm the greatest. That's completely illogical. The only response to being given a gift is to turn to the giver who gave it in humility and gratitude and say, thank you. To say, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for considering me. And this is where the gift of grace that God has given us in salvation He should be far greater than any Christmas gift that we could get, right? But we turn to him continually, continually thinking about the fact that God has given me salvation. Everything that I have is from him. And each day as I'm thinking that, I experience the grace of God anew. I'm constantly reminding myself of the fact that God in his grace has given me salvation. He's given me everything I have. And there's a final point that I want to say this brings us to the truth that because of Jesus, we don't read the book of Proverbs as condemned people. We, can't, we don't read the book of Proverbs as condemned people. And here's why I say this. It's really easy to read the book of Proverbs and see all of this wisdom. See the things that I should have done. See the things that I should be doing and realize I'm not doing them. And then reading the book of Proverbs and it calls me a fool. Realize that I haven't been wise If you are in Christ, if you are here this morning and you have trusted that Jesus Christ is your Savior, Romans 8.1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that means when I'm reading the book of Proverbs, when I'm reading these challenging things about my life, when I'm realizing that I haven't been wise, when I have acted a fool, when I have done these things, I can read this as someone who's not condemned because of what Christ has done for me. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, I seek repentance and move forward. That's all I can do. I'm I'm not condemned by my failure to meet what Proverbs has called me to, because I am in Christ. He is my righteousness. He is my wisdom. And I can read the book of Proverbs as a child of God and not one who's condemned, moving forward in the power of the Spirit when I fall short, seeking forgiveness. If you're with us this morning and maybe Christianity is something new to you, I just urge you, consider following Christ. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all fallen short of his wisdom. And all of us lacks the righteousness that we need to have a relationship with God. But when we trust Christ, when we we trust the sacrifice, his sacrifice on the cross for our sin, when we trust that he was raised three days later from the grave never to die again, When we trust that good news, God forgives us of our sin. He brings us into God's family. And now, as his children, we have the ability to live life the way that God designed us to live it. We can become fully human and live in the wisdom that God has given us. So I want to invite the band to come back up now. Um, And as I close, let me just encourage us one more time seek wisdom. Bring people into your decision-making process. Continue to remind yourself of the grace that you have in Jesus. Let that bring us to a place of humility where we're willing to acknowledge our weakness and that we need the help of others. So let's pray. Our great Father, we thank you for Jesus. I thank you that even in this book of Proverbs, that can at times seem to be tucked away in the Old Testament. Your son, Jesus, is there. He is the wisdom of God speaking to us. And I thank you so much that at the end of the day, my lack of wisdom is completely overcome by your wisdom, that my lack of righteousness is completely overcome by the righteousness that we have in Christ, that none of us can boast. So I pray, Father, that you would send us your spirit now, that as we turn to worship, your spirit would be our worship leader that we would praise you for the work that you've done on our behalf in Christ. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.